This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Thank you for everyone that has tuned into 52 Weeks of Hustle so far. I've had a lot of fun sitting down with industry leaders. In addition, I've written a book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales. It's a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. Whether you're looking to get in this business or you already are and you're looking to continue to grow your career, I believe this book can be beneficial for you. The paperback and ebook versions are now available. Check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Thank you in advance and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, or for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week, an exciting time in this business is being able to go through the planning and opening of a brand new building or helping bring a team from the minor leagues to the big leagues. But typically, someone doesn't get to do both. However, our next guest was able to do that and much more as I'm excited to have the vice president of the Minnesota United FC, Sean Sitnik. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate uh, you having me. John, certainly a pleasure talking to you, and you've had a great career and a lot of great experiences. So let's start with your current role as the VP of Sales for the Minnesota United FC team there in the MLS. When you first got to Minneapolis as the Senior Director of Ticket Sales, the team was playing in the National American Soccer League. Did you know when you took the role that there was a good possibility you guys would be awarded the MLS team? Yeah, it was really interesting back then. Uh, first, when I got the call to be recruited, I told the gentleman, Todd Abramson, who called me, who was the COO at the time, uh, that soccer wasn't a thing. It didn't exist in Minnesota. Um, so it was interesting to go through the journey of being convinced <laughs> first to even interview. That, that there was uh, actually a team there. <laughs> yes. Uh, when, I, when I lived there first and worked for the Timberwolves, had no idea that soccer existed in the marketplace. It, it was here. There had been a 40-year you know, existence of professional soccer. And it was a, a really fun interview process. Part of it, though, I got to sit with Dr. Bill McGuire, who is um, our, our largest stake owner with the club. Uh, and what he told me stuck with me. He said, you know, I, I don't know whether it'll be MLS or NASL. I don't know exactly what the future is going to hold. I just know that we're going to make this thing big. And what it is right now doesn't matter as much as what it's going to be. And we're going to be able to take some of the amazing things of what it's been, the grassroots nature and some of the connectivity and some of the beautiful things that NASL was. Uh, but whether it was in NASL or MLS, we were going to make this big, amazing transformational thing. And I'm really proud because I think we've done that. 
No, that's awesome. And, you know, we talk a lot about, and we certainly talk about this on the podcast where it's all around surrounding yourself with the right people, making sure there's a good opportunity and knowing that the support system is going to be there again, regardless of league, Hey, you're going to have the budget and resources and time and effort to make this thing huge. And, and you guys have certainly done a great job and we'll get to those accomplishments. And so as you look back at your time, Sean, how is that experience for you and the sales team to go through the process of selling both in the NASL and then onto the MLS, you know, over those first few years with the team? Yeah. Um, yeah to me, the definition of sales is always a really important starting point wherever I'm at. Um, because I think it really changed the dynamic of what you're looking at and what I was noticing for, you know, what they had done for the past 32 years or so before I got there as how they were selling soccer was, are you a soccer fan? If so, let me tell you why our soccer product is great. Um, and we did a good job uh, of changing definitionally how we went about it. Our definition of sales is you find out what your customer wants or needs and find out, find out how to provide it for them with your existing product line. Some people will go to a soccer game because it's great for the family. It's because it's great for the business because they love soccer. There's a bunch of different reasons and a bunch of different ways you are connected to the game uh, and allowing fans to be connected in their way became really important and was part of our success. And then there was thankfully a ton of leverageable moments along that pathway. It's, you know, you were excited about it, but then all of a sudden we were announced as going to MLS. Well, your excitement grew. Yeah. Uh, you're excited about it. And then we announced our new stadium. Your excitement grew. We played our first game in MLS, your excitement grew. You saw that we had 40,000 people at a match, your excitement grew. You saw that we were opening up one of the best stadiums in all of North America. So uh, I know there's a lot more questions coming up that might tie into it. So I'll, I'll pause there, but it, yeah, it's just no, it, moments. To, to your point, you know, not only the connectivity, you're, you're obviously training your sales team members to ask the right questions the thought provoking questions. And, and ultimately the value proposition you guys provided was huge and it's been tremendous the growth that you and your team have had you went from 242 season ticket orders to over 11,500 so you know what what is you if you look at that process of growing that what are some of the biggest differences in, in selling both the NASL to the MLS and ultimately that that growth that you guys have had yeah I ambushed you a little bit here it's actually uh continuing to grow it's almost 16,000 season ticket members now think that's incredible so um, you know, literally and I, I you know just give the listeners you know we went from 242 season tickets to over 16,000 you know and, and we'll certainly get into your point of getting to the MLS getting a new stadium but huge huge growth yeah there, there's fun milestones along the way um you know I, I think we always looked at what was the next thing ahead? So the majority of the time, I would say our growth was obviously tied to MLS and being able to kind of hit those marks along the way. Uh, but we knew we wanted to be the best NASL side. And so we were able to get up to about 6,000 season ticket members in NASL, which was a really big number for that league. Yeah. Um, and then we were able to leverage those folks. And most of them made the transition from NASL to the first years of MLS. Uh, we had 11,842 season ticket members, which is actually the number of lakes in Minnesota. Uh, big shout out to Brian Pfeiffer, who's got wordplay for days. And so <laughs> I, I can only imagine. But you stop <laughs> selling at that point. This is a perfect number. <laughs> yep. The, the, the Itasca Society uh, was the name of our first season ticket members in MLS. Uh, Itasca State Park is where the, the mouth of Mississippi starts. Okay. Um, and so we looked at that as a really cool moment to be able to talk about, you know, how this is the start and growth of an amazing fan base and uh, one of the most important rivers, but also to us, one of the most important fan bases uh, that exists. Um, so the, the difference in selling it, I don't think there was that big of a difference uh, per se in, in how we went about selling the particular product. I think some of the differences were we had 
something you alluded to earlier, our staff continue to grow and get better, uh, both in the sales side, but also, um, you know, outside of uh, my particular department, we added uh, some great people, uh, Maureen Smith, who's our CEO gave us a lot more structure and ability to actually have processes that could handle the type of growth that we had, which was great. Right. Uh, John Goyano, who uh, actually got executive of the year uh, for marketing in MLS, and uh, he was able to kind of keep our brand strong. And I think that's one of the, the most impressive things about our club is our brand and, and just how people can tie to Minnesota black and blue and see the loon and immediately know who, uh, who that is and get excited about it. And so we, we just kept on adding talented people. Uh, and then our sales team, uh, you know, <laughs> grew massively. Our NASL team started off with me and two people. Um, and we were able to really grow to where we had, uh, at our peak, uh, north of 30 people selling and, and making sure this thing grew. So, uh, not a strong division between the two, not that like NASL versus MLS was a big, like tactic change. Um, but with the resources, we were able to continue to increase and, and become a better staff globally in every area of our business. You know, I think that's always key to any organizational success is that the one team, one dream, you know, everybody's running parallel paths and you guys putting yourself in a position to have that much growth. You know, it's, it's very hard to do. And I think the one biggest thing I would take away from that and the leaders listening as well is like, make sure you're setting yourself up on goals of some, some different lakes or some different beaches or different things in your area. That's a, it's a great little thing. And I'm sure Brian had a ton of, ton of fun doing that. So, you know, Sean, throughout your experience, just within Minnesota alone, you guys have built up your sales team. You guys, you mentioned you've gotten a lot better. What are some of those key characteristics you've seen in some of the successful people, whether they're on the sales staff or just organizationally, that has allowed Minnesota United to have so much success? Yeah, I think it's really impressive when you see people who just want to dominate their position and, and do what they're supposed to do to the highest level possible without always being uh, on the lookout for what's next. What's the next opportunity? Where can I get promoted? Where can I... Um, and we have some great people on our staff who've just done that. They've really said, all right, I'm going to be the best, whatever position I currently am, I can be. Uh, and if that creates opportunity, that's great. Um, you know, for, for me personally, I've never applied to a new position. I've always had people kind of come to me. And I think that's uh, made my career uh, be able to be molded in the way that I wanted it to be is that, you know, I could pick and choose and there was always that great opportunity from it. And there's so many folks who uh, act in that manner and, and are like that for our club, which is really great to see. I think, um, everybody has rose colored glasses and we'll say, oh, we have the best, this, 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 and this, but, uh, I definitely feel it with a lot of the folks on our staff and, you know, look at, uh, you know, the people who lead retention for us, who consistently keep us in the high nineties and, uh, high to mid nineties and they're fantastic. And, uh, Amy Goodwin leads that charge and she's great. And, uh, our new business side has a couple of up and coming rock stars there. And, and, um, we also have a bunch of folks who've been able to take their next step externally and that's really something amazing something i'm proud of that uh i like to think of you know uh a dream of having a, a greg popovich type coaching right. tree where you you look and see in the, the nba how many everywhere. people yeah how many people yeah. were once assistants with greg popovich or once worked on his staff or worked alongside greg um you know i would love to have that type of thing long term and i think i've got you know some folks who are kind of lapping me already uh, out there in different different clubs doing different things so it's been really fun to have that happen and I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, go out and dominate your day in whatever your tasks are and good things are going to happen to good people that put themselves in good position. You're going to get these opportunities. You're going to get to the point where you don't have to look at job boards. You don't have to apply for jobs because if you're truly dominating what you are doing and supposed to be doing, you're going to get that opportunity. And 
you know, Sean, not only did you guys with the transition of MLS, you know, have a ton of success, but also there are some hurdles and challenges that come up. And, you know, for your first two seasons, you actually played at TCF Bank Stadium on the campus of University of Minnesota. So how is that experience selling not only for the brand new MLS team, but you're playing in a different building that, you know, in the future, you're not going to be playing at and kind of the transitions of all you know, members and things like that. Yeah, what's really fun is uh, this actually is the second stadium that I've had a chance to open. So I got to learn a lot when we were in Houston and we played at Robertson Stadium and Robertson Stadium was so nice that they bulldozed it right after the last Houston Dynamo game. Um, (laughs) I got rid of it soon. (laughs) What a transitional venue looks like. Um, And TCF Bank Stadium is definitely not that. Uh, That thing's still standing and will be standing for quite some time. It's a lovely college football venue and it was a really great place for us to be able to, you know, to the, the Vikings well. played there as well, you know, in their yeah. new build. Yes. It just really is a, uh, well-designed multifunction venue. And, um, like I said, it's been great for, for college athletics here in the marketplace, but as you alluded to, I mean, it's just, it's seen some really fun things such as NFL football, MLS yeah. soccer, um, amazing concerts. Like they've done a really good job with, with what they have there. So knowing that I was going to have something better to play with than what we had uh, and, and the new Robertson Stadium, just so any uh, University of Houston folks are listening, they don't get offended. The new stadium is amazing that they built and it will be the same thing that TCF yeah. Bank Stadium is for a really long time. To be very clear, you're talking about the old facility, the yes, old the facility, old, not the, the new old one. The facility <laughs> that got bulldozed was rightfully bulldozed and they made great decisions. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but uh, the uh, the thing about transitioning is is we had – some experience, ability to play off of that, but you can really be innovative. And, and one of the things I'd noticed in a lot of transition plans was just tenure, 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 tenure. And I, I think that's great. And, and I think there's some, something to be said for longevity, but when you've had 40 years of existence in professional soccer, what is the beginning of that tenure and how trackable is it? I can't go back to uh, looking at the paper stubs that people took to go to Minnesota kicks games back in the day when Pele was coming to town. Right. Um, and, you know, there's such a, a, a wide variety of how that history was, was built. So we built a spend and tenure combination model. Um, and what I'd seen in Houston was people were taking a year off, dropping down in their spend, uh, really reducing. And then we just didn't know what they were going to do when they, and they came nice. in. Uh, and so we had the ability over those two years to really develop, hey, spend in these areas if you want to be able to, to help dictate your spend transitioning the new building. You move in. We saw several million dollars worth of growth if we're talking just strictly you know, gross financial numbers, uh, <laughs> but several million dollars growth in TCF and then several million dollars of growth uh, going to Allianz Field, which you just typically don't get. Right. But also, I think from a fan experience standpoint, if you wanted to be on the sideline, you got used to sitting on the sideline at TCF and you got yourself used to what that experience was like. Yep. It wasn't built the same way for clubs. So that was a big explosion. And, and quite frankly, we have underpriced club seats because of uh, how little club seats we had at, at uh, TCF Bank Stadium. But that still was a, a really fun transitional moment and transitional opportunity just to be able to say, OK, how can we play with uh, the opportunities at TCF that make the move to the new building, something that the fans can get excited about, make sure they can align themselves properly. And uh, I just think it was a lot of fun. 
No, absolutely. And Sean, to your point, you go on to, to open Alliance Field, which is the soccer-specific stadium there in St. Paul, Minnesota, opened back in 2019, which seems like forever ago, because uh, you certainly guys put a lot of time and effort getting that thing built. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, one of the nicest facilities, you know, in the U- U.S. And so what was some of the coolest memories you have in going through that building of the new stadium and maybe even some unique, you know, meetings you're a part of, you're like, where am I? What is going on right now? Yeah. Um, so I, I have to do this on behalf of Julia, who will probably kill me if I don't. Uh, one of the funniest things when we were you know, getting running, I met Julia, who's with Allianz. And she said, well, part of the biggest thing is we want people to pronounce our name right all the time. It's Allianz. And that's Allianz. why we're that's why we're going in and sponsoring this building <laughs> so my sincere apology <laughs> all good um but it, it really was a, a moment that relates to your question of like this thing's powerful like where people are willing to put millions of dollars because they know that it'll be talked about it'll be a, a connection point from here on out uh, i also think what's really impactful for me personally is in the twin cities um there's some diversity but the diversity is really uh, in distinct pockets and Allianz became a home for true diversity. And, and you didn't walk in and just see uh, everybody of one race, everyone group. It was, it's really broken up. And that, that was really nice to see and, and a really fun part of, of what we were doing. Um, you know, some moments, I remember we toured our, our staff for the first time and, and jaws were just dropped. Uh, just amazed that we had gone from a place where uh, <laughs> at Hennessy Stadium up in Blaine, um, we had a bleacher that used to be part of a track that was retrofit to, to fit <laughs> soccer in it. And uh, there's literal steps that were crumbling at our feet that some were, were fixed with wood somehow. I don't even know how the, the science of that works. <laughs> um, we, had, we had built our premium areas, which were simply uh, cabanas you would see in, in your backyard if you wanted to have a nice- a very uh, makeshift around. premium inventory. Yeah, to, to see how different the world had become. And, and you know, I, I joke with Justin Burrell, who's a GM of our building, an awesome guy. Uh, and he and I have been around together since uh, pretty early on. I was employee number seven. He might have been uh, 11 or 12. Okay. Um, I'm, I think I'm the only business folk uh, left. And then we have a, guy named An- or a gal named Angie and uh, Manny Lagos, who are still on the sporting side. But uh <laughs> There's a day where he had to, unfortunately, and I like cats, so this is a, a thing for Pete at the beginning, but. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Had to, to 
fish a dead cat out of a drain right before a game. Um, and to think like that's what he was doing in his career. And now he's the GM of this beautiful building. Beautiful. Some of this uh, stuff you can't make up. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. It was on the walkie talkie and someone's like, there's a dead cat in the drain by the pitch side cabanas. Can someone get that? That, real, that like, real high end premium experience there. <laughs> someone's like, don't say that on the walkie talkie. <laughs> <laughs> so it was good times, but to see that, that massive difference, I think, was really cool. And there's a lot of staff members who worked in the NASL days who uh, really got to enjoy that together. And I, I think that was a bonding moment for the staff in a really cool way. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Sean Sitnick, Vice President of Ticket Sales of the Minnesota United FC. And Sean, you spent almost eight years with the club now in Minnesota. And you previously, as you mentioned, spent a couple of years with the Houston Dynamo, the NMLS. So, however, you know, most people think, oh, well, he must be a huge soccer fan, huge soccer person. But you're not always a fan, right? And you certainly didn't have a passion for soccer. So, you know, I think you have a pretty cool story behind that. Can you tell the listeners how the love of the game came about? <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely an interesting transition story. Um, so I grew up in Ashtabula, Ohio, and as far as my knowledge goes, they didn't have youth soccer back then. If they did, it was hidden from me. It's hidden. Uh, so I played Little League Baseball and uh, played played a lot of youth basketball and, and ended up doing that a long time in my life. Uh, started my career in the NBA. But uh, while I was at one of my college stops, I lived with my brother, and he had just come back from serving the military. He was in the Air Force and went to Korea. And he came back and was like, oh, I love soccer. It's so cool. And I was like, whoa, chill <laughs> Who out. Who are you? Chill out with that weirdness. Like, we don't, we don't do that here in this household. Um, literally, I just had not had any experience with soccer at all at that point in time in my life. And he was like, the live, the live event is so cool. You just don't understand it. Da, 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 da. All, the, all the great selling points that he had. And he's not the salesperson I am, so I wasn't bought in. Um, and uh, <laughs> We got to the place where brothers sometimes do. We decided that, you know, we were going to wrestle it out a little bit. And if he tapped out, he wasn't allowed to say the word soccer or football for the rest of the calendar year. If I tapped out, uh, I had to go to a Dallas burn game. Uh, definitely have to pick on that name. It was a, it's a very bad name for a sports <laughs> team. Uh, they have since moved uh, on to a, a much more traditional soccer name in FC Dallas and, and uh, definitely stepped up when it comes to that. In uh, general, but, though, I'm not sure if there's a better way to figure out who's going to win or who has the right than to, to tap out and battle totally. it out. I mean, I think <laughs> totally. that's the best way in anything you can do, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, the arrogant uh, – Soon to be college basketball, baseball player that I was, was in really good shape. Uh, I thought there's no way my brother, who's, you know, uh, 23 now, getting old at that time, uh, can take me. So I, I picked him up and I remember I pushed his face into the carpet thinking he was going to tap out from that. Turns out the military training is better than that. Uh, <laughs> he got and, a lot stronger when he was gone. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he kind of flipped me over and, and I ended up with my arm tucked. Uh, behind my back and I remember thinking of you know uh, if you, you think the scene from Talladega Nights 
I wasn't thinking of it then because I don't think the movie was out yet. Yeah. But Talladega Nights, where uh, he's telling him to say say Crips or I'll break his arm. I'm thinking maybe I'll have my arm broken at yeah, that you're moment. Like, I am not going to this soccer match. <laughs> and uh, eventually tapped out uh, and decided to go. Uh, we were in the Inferno, which I'll say for as much uh, junk as I gave the name Dallas Byrne, the Inferno is an amazing supporter group name uh, for a team that was called the Burn at the time. And uh, we were at uh, Cotton Bowl. So it was, you know, pre then moving to a soccer specific stadium and uh, very rustic and, and certainly a lot of empty seats. Uh, but I was in the middle of it all. And the middle of it all to me is the supporter section. It's just people standing the entire match, uh, you know, faces painted for some of them, waving flags for some of them, you know, everyone experienced in their own unique, different way, but they were just really getting after it. And I remember afterwards, I was like, okay, that wasn't that bad, but I couldn't tell my brother. So the next game, uh, he's like, Let, let's go. And I'm like, yeah, it's still pretty lame. And you're lame too. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, all right, fine. I'll go. And then the next game after that, I was like, Hey, uh, you know, you don't even have to talk me into it. I guess I'll go this time. And then the game after that, I was like, Hey, you got an extra ticket right now. Uh, I'm in. And I, I started really enjoying myself at those, those matches and those games. Um, and then I moved to Buffalo and I went to college at Niagara County community college. And there's no, uh, soccer that really was of note in Buffalo at the time. And it kind of fell to the wayside, uh, had my career started in the NBA, worked for the heat, worked for the Timberwolves. Um, and it was my first boss, Marcus Madlock with the heat, a transition to the dynamo. I was like, come check it out. You got to be here. Um, and I'll do the quickest version of the story I can. Uh, flew down for an interview, was in Robertson Stadium Suites. And uh, I'm using Airfinger for quotes yeah. if you're listening yeah, to the audio. great premium area, right? <laughs> uh, they just took their old... Um, their old suite or their old uh, press row, basically, and put foam dividers between for each of these suites. Uh, and then they had a table full of tacos at the backside of the room. I remember that. Uh, and so I was sitting there and uh, this guy next to me, Sam Torres uh, says, Oh man, we just put in this guy's our Academy project. And it was a, it was a really good game. It was three to three uh, going into the 82nd minute when this Academy product came in. And I was like, Oh, it's great, Sam. Thanks for telling me that. I don't know what an Academy is. <laughs> um, and uh, so uh, this guy, Alex Dixon, comes in and uh, right in about the 91st minute, he breaks down two defenders, goes opposite or goes upper uh, 90 in the far left corner uh, and wins the game. And I'm high fiving people I don't know because all of the suites are semi connected. I'm high fiving people in different You're suites. You're pushing over these foam boards. <laughs> and uh, so I, you know, maybe, maybe I could get behind uh, selling this live event and, and really getting into it. So it was a really, uh, fun moment and it was an interesting way of time back that i'd already known the live experience is cool and interesting uh, but one jolt kind of pushed me over the edge and i was choosing between you know possibly going to work for um the organization surrounding the cleveland Cavs, but also selling lake erie monsters and yep. some other properties there I was talking to great folks like phil horn at the kings and, and the folks at the clippers and there's a lot of other opportunity during that time um, but it just really became an awesome opportunity to be able to be a part of uh, opening a new stadium and then got that experience on steroids again uh, as right. I continued my career. Well, what a great story. And certainly between, you know, the, the love of the game that you kind of started to have, you know, all because, you know, your brother beat you up. I think that's the way I took out of it. But uh, no, you, you started falling in love with the game. You reconnected with Marcus, who was a mentor of yours, ultimately has now led you to working in the MLS over 10 plus years. And, you know, for the listeners out there, because I think there's a lot of, of listeners, hey, MLS, it's, it's, you know, fun when you go in person. But why do you think soccer as a whole is a game that's just continuing to grow on a consistent basis? 
Yeah, specifically in the U.S., I, th- I think the simplest answer is the product continues to get better. Um, but for the game as a whole, I, I think we live in a little bit of an ADD generation. I think everybody is, is looking yeah. for something to happen fast and be action packed. And um, the old jokes that you used to hear about soccer were like, oh, it's only one zero scoring or two. But the second people have given it a shot, which has been more and more common, you start to realize how action packed the game is. Right. And if you are watching soccer with an open mind, you realize how much activity is going on all the time and how engaging it is as a sport. You combine that with more and more talent being born in the U.S., more and more talent coming to the U.S., and the product just continues to really, really grow. I, I think you know a couple of big things we've seen in our league is uh, we have players who are U.S. born who are going to play overseas in the best leagues in the world, um, many of which have come through MLS sides, which I think wasn't happening to the extent it was. Um, I think everybody in the society, you know, wants, wants everything to happen faster than it can always. Yeah. Um, I was even talking with my, my buddy, who's a German guy who was like, Oh, well, what we need is, is MLS needs to, to continue to have great players playing overseas. And I was like, all right, well, here's Serginho Dest and uh, here's Tyler Adams. And here, and I went through the list and, and the number of folks who are playing at high level European clubs now is massive. And that's going to be another uptick for us soccer coming in, in the near term. Uh, I think we'll see some great things there, but, the product keeps getting better. The, the notoriety of, of soccer keeps on getting better and, and bolder. And I think once people experience the live event and there's more facilities like Allianz Field yeah. to experience a live event in, they're hooked. It's hard to, hard to go to a match at Allianz Field or a game at Allianz Field and not go, wow, this is great. I want to be back. Here's what I want to do. Absolutely. And you're Sean. So now back to the beginning as you're growing up, you mentioned grow up in Ashtabula, which I think now they have youth soccer. Um, certainly back then, maybe not. Right. Uh, but then you move on to Sherman, New York. And, you know, like many kids, you grow up and you're doing fundraisers and having a ton of success. You're, you know, you mentioned you're going around and, and selling parents uh, of people you're already with. And then ultimately that leads you down the road of, you know, like a lot of people, they're athletic in high school. They love sports. You went to Niagara County community college you played basketball and baseball for a few years there before I think you know the light bulb goes on which it goes on with a lot of us it says you know what if I want a career in this I need to be on the business side I may not make it in the professional side which drew you to Flagler College where you receive your degree in sports management so thinking back to your time then how did you know sports was that career path you ultimately wanted to take yeah it's interesting because I don't know that I knew it a hundred percent um I wasn't one of the folks who went in the program going like, I know exactly what I'm going to be and exactly where I'm going to go. I, I knew that I was good at sales. When I was a kid, I had the weirdest question to career day. People said, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be in mergers and acquisitions as like a <laughs> third grader. And yeah. So a pretty weird uh, <laughs> decision there. Um, what, what I found was really interesting is the ability to, to merge things I was into combined with something. So I, I always tell people just being passionate for sports, just being into sports is not enough. Yeah. Uh, we have a thousand people who apply for a position and, and if all they bring is I'm really passionate for sports, unfortunately, as much as I, I love it, I, your line that, that you and I talked about of then season tickets is perfect My for you season tickets resonates so well. Right. Um, yep. but, but I found I could combine things that I really loved with sports and sports is so transformational sports is a really special thing when you can see what it can do for a family you can see what it can do for a community you can see what it can do for in our case an entire state um but that was the light bulb moment for me as i was doing things so i learned and 
this is where we get to, to pretend like we're not old, but we are. Uh, I learned social media marketing when Facebook was just starting. And I thought that was going to be the thing I applied to sports and I was great at. And yeah. um, you know, I applied it towards having a seven foot mascot with a giant wizard head walking around sporting events. It was fantastic <laughs> whole story for a whole nother time, but Absolutely. Uh, he, he went to a Snoop Dogg concert. It was great. Um, <laughs> but then, then I realized that sales, which had always been a backbone, a backbone of what I was good at, uh, became a place I could really apply my competitive juices, along with the ability to be involved in this transfer, transformational activity of sports. Uh, and that combination was just magical to me. No, absolutely. And so, you, Sean, you continue down, you know, and you always had some sales, whether it be fundraisers in high school and college, you started working at finish line, you were even awarded the top salesperson in the district, which is a, a huge accomplishment if you guys think about finish line as a whole. And so what were some key learnings that you took from that, that role and that experience with finish line and may still apply to your every day? Yeah, so actually, ironically, it was really specific to selling insoles. Um, and that's, that's what I led the district in there. And, and the reason for that is there's a simple motivation. Insoles were the thing that we got one to $2 on. So it was a way for me to afford living in college. Um, and, and so I developed a routine that I could stick with, but still mold. Uh, and what that meant is that every single person that tried on a shoe with me, uh, if I could rip out one of the insoles of the two shoes they're trying on and put it in a, a different insole for them to try on, they got it. And, and I was consistent and made sure that every single time that happened, how I went about that and how I got in the conversation, how I made it smooth, that always changed. That always evolved. But I knew I was going to accomplish these certain things. I knew I was going to make sure the insole got in. I knew what I was going to talk about when the insole was in their shoe. I knew exactly how I'd discuss it. So developing a routine that you could believe in consistently and, and never miss the key points of became really important because when we got into selling uh, tickets for the Miami Heat and then beyond, I had to maintain that same level of discipline, that same level of understanding like, okay, I have to make sure I go about asking these questions so I can understand this customer and understand what might be a good fit for them. Uh, so that routine was really important. Uh, and then I was never kind of above a job with with finish line. I never was like, Oh, well, I don't want to talk to this person because they might not buy an insole from me. Or I don't want to talk to this person because I think they're only going to get kids shoes. There's so many times that by having a good genuine conversation, making sure to take care of somebody, that thing uh, that I wanted to accomplish happened because of how well I took care of them in the other area. They either came back and bought shoes for themselves and bought an insole later on, or uh, they decided they were going to buy a bunch of things on the spot that I wasn't expecting. I remember one time somebody was just getting kids shoes and they're like, oh, before I go, can you show me where insoles are? And they grabbed five of them, which, you know, 10 bucks back in two th- or 1990 something uh, was, way. was a big deal. So it was uh, pretty great to see that happen. At the end of the day, if you can be passionate about insoles, you know, you can be passionate a little bit about everything. But I think to your point of making sure you're taking everybody through those thought provoking questions, that value proposition, no different than when you're on the sales side and you're bringing people show everybody the premium area. They may not be able to afford it, but their business might be or someone they know. So you never know when that cross selling and upselling. So, so great learning experience. And another big thing with sales is rejection. You know, when it happens, the challenges come up. You've got to figure them out. You've got to, you keep pushing through. And you had one of those in college where you ended up failing a class and it quite frankly may have been being the best thing for you. So can you walk the listeners through what happened with that process? Yeah. Um, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. So, uh, you know, went through my, my two years at Niagara County community college, uh, Dean's list there. Everything's going really, really well. 
uh, headed for Dean's List at Flagler College and, and really enjoying my studies there. Um, and we had uh, Professor Twardy, who's the chair of sport management there. She's since retired and uh, awesome, awesome professor, awesome woman. Um, we had a, a quiz that we took in her class that was graded by your peers. So you exchanged and you graded. Uh, and uh, feel bad for Jim. I'm going to put him on the spot here. But Jim Holbert was one of my good buddies in college. Uh, and so we were uh, side by side and we were exchanging. And the quizzes didn't really mean anything. You couldn't fail the class with them. So it's why what happened was so stupid. But, um, you know, wanted to make sure that we did all right. So sometimes we'd flip and, and erase and, and change grades. Um, There's someone in the class who thought that I was going to be competing with them for the best quiz score, which actually got to take off the final. Okay. Uh, I was not going to be competing with that person <laughs> for that. I knew that I wasn't quite at that level where I was going to be able to skip the final, um, but they were concerned with it. So one day, Dr. Twardy sat by us and monitored where we were taking the test. I had uh, two weeks before told Jim Holbert that I was done and that I had to, you know, we had to, we had to study. We, we couldn't do the, the trading. It was like a very... A uh, comical moment when you look back on it of like how serious I was about like, we need to get better. We need to, to do better, <laughs> be better. Um, and uh, so she watches us. We, we get the quiz back. I get a nine out of 10. So I'm feeling good. I'm in the clear. Yep. She, she thinks she found us, but nope, I got a nine out of 10. Poor Jim, I got a two out of 10. And so Dr. Tordy asked to see us after the class pull Jim in uh, first. And I said, Jim, I got nine out of 10. Like there's nothing that, that really can right. be said there. Like, just, just stay strong. Good just luck. say you, stay you're strong over whatever it is. And he came out crying, just bawling his eyes out. He's like, I couldn't help it. I told her everything. Uh, um, and so Dr. Ortiz pulled me in, uh, told me that she was failing me for that, that uh, class. And it was a, a shock to the system. Um, but it's my responsibility. It was my thing that I did. I was the person who, you know, should have uh, not been cheated. So uh, I looked at that moment and said, okay, I got another semester in college. What do I do? And I got more involved with the program. I, I tried to make sure that I drove everybody who was a guest speaker uh, to and from the, the campus. I made sure I volunteered for, for different opportunities, made sure I helped run as many fundraisers as possible. Uh, did as many things as I could to continue to better myself because, you know, something that I had to take responsibility for the thing I did. Um, because of that, I met Marcus Madlock, who we talked about earlier, uh, had a chance to really advance my career. I also met Derek May, who was a, a Olympian for ping pong. Uh, and the only reason I want to bring that up is because he beat our ping pong champion for the tournament I ran with a frying pan, a lunchbox, and a, a whoosh paddle. And it's just a fun story. That's to impressive. Tell. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> so is impressive. Got to see so many things, got to be experienced in so many different ways. And if you take those opportunities and take responsibility, which I think was a really important thing for me is to say, like, I can't blame anyone for this. This is my thing. Now, what do I do to make up for my thing? Yep. Um, was really helpful for me. No, that's great. And, you know, to your point, you end up meeting with Marcus and ultimately end up starting with him with the Miami Heat as an inside sales rep. You move on to the Minnesota Timberwolves as a group sales representative. And, you know, then throughout that experience in the selling end, you kind of reconvene with, with Marcus and you mentioned with the Houston Dynamo. And that's when another obstacle end up coming up is as your family had a house fire. So you then head back to New York to kind of help out with your family. It certainly allowed you time to reconnect with family and friends and, and ultimately probably help you in that work-life balance. So how do you feel like that has helped your approach as you move forward and certainly into your leadership career? Yeah. Um, so 
<laughs> still probably get criticized sometimes on the work-life balance uh, to this day, but I know it's better. Yeah. <laughs> I know I've, I've taken some pretty big strides from where I used to be as far as that goes. Um, big shout out for the Dynamo because they actually held my position so I could go back and make sure my parents got back on their feet. And uh, I moved into an apartment with them for a few months just to make sure they could find whatever their next step was going to be. And, and all the while my desk was held in Houston. Um, great organization. Yes. Uh, really appreciate that. And uh, really appreciate <laughs> Amy Statler, who's still there uh, working. She drove me to the airport the day that everything went down. Uh, my fish died under her care, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> we won't talk about that. Uh, we won't bring that up. Uh, but she, she was amazing and, and really kind of helped me in so many ways to, to be able to navigate things. Uh, and then Marcus was a great boss throughout. So great friends and, and great people there. Um, so it made me value those things. It made me value organizationally. Uh, organizations that take care of folks and, and do what they can to make sure they're in a good spot. And, um, you know, we'll do the right thing, even though, you know, holding that spot, I could have been replaced by someone bringing in more revenue than a guy who's selling via a phone in New York state. And that wasn't the norm uh, back then. Yeah. It's like, it, it was not <laughs> Yeah, remote work was not easy uh, yeah. to come by back then. Um, and then it, it also just reminded me that you have to put your family first. You have to prioritize those things. And uh, I had really fallen out of touch with my parents in, in uh, a real sense. And I became a lot closer with them to the point where you know, I'm always back for the holidays now. I'm always connected with them now, but I, I would go months without speaking to them. Uh, my mom will listen to this and be like, well, you go sometimes a month without speaking to us now. <laughs> what's uh, what's changed, Sean? <laughs> it, was, it was five to six months, sometimes even, you know, uh, just talking to them the next time I was coming back for Christmas, maybe. Yep. Um, and that was really important to me. And I think really helped me understand more where employees are coming from when they need that type of assistance, they need that type of help. And something I pride myself on is making sure that our employees know that they can prioritize things in their life. They can go ahead and uh, take care of what needs to be taken care of their family and, and we'll make sure work works around them. Sean, su such a great story, such a great journey. And it's certainly awesome to hear today from someone that's developed a passion, not only for your craft, but also the, the sport of soccer and what a successful career you've had. So to close it out, I'd like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Uh, I got to get my stretch on. Yeah. All right, get let's stretched do it. I'll be ready to go. All right. First one, if you had to delete all but three apps from your phone, which ones are you keeping? Okay. Um, I'm going to combine Facebook and Twitter cause they are combined app on mine. Okay. Uh, and so I have the ability to communicate with you know, friends and family from across the nation, live in a lot of places, uh, NBA league pass, <laughs> got to be able to catch up on the games. And, uh, it's nice to be able to watch former teams that I worked for and, and the heat and Timberwolves. Uh, and then last, but certainly not least is that MN UFC app. So if you're listening to this and you're a fan of MN UFC, you download that app right now and make sure you get it on your phone. That's key. Awesome. If you could choose two people to have dinner with dead or alive, who would they be? And this is uh, interestingly polarizing question nowadays. So I got to be careful where I step, but uh, in the, in the alive category, I think Adam Silver is, is a amazing human being when it comes to how he's navigated uh, the NBA and, and all the things that have been in front of him and uh, just hearing how he's been able to, look at the the social landscape, be able to do the right thing so many times, even when money's on the line. Um, is so impressive. And I'd love to just learn from that. I think that would be one of the, the most impactful people that I could kind of meet with and, uh, and get together with. And um, my grandpa's always been a inspiration for me. Uh, my middle name is Norman uh, after him, he passed away 
uh, a few years ago now. And I'd love to catch up with him again and, and let him know a little bit about what I'm doing with my career and, and you know, uh, how my life has been. That would be a really fun one for me. Yeah. He would be very proud. And finally, what reality TV show would you be on? Uh, so <laughs> I always joke with people that if I won the lottery, I would create my own reality TV show. Uh, and it would be the story of it, it's getting worse as I get older. Now it's 36 year old uh, <laughs> who played college basketball and I would hire, uh, you know, one of the epic NBA trainers, you know, somebody like Tim Grover, who's Tim Grover, yeah, who's, who's working really closely with, with athletes and, and molding them in really impressive ways. Uh, but my goal wouldn't be to get the NBA 36. That's crazy. Uh, my goal would be like second division Ukrainian league. Uh, <laughs> and we'd have cameras following me around. I get to tell jokes as we're going through. And I, I hope my personality could shine. But yeah. I also think it's a really interesting dialogue of like, what it would be like of me trying to get back in as good a playing shape as possible, yeah. showcasing 16 some of years later, you're ready to go. <laughs> yeah. I think that'd be the, the, the most fun show I could do and, and be the, the worst way you could probably spend lottery earnings. But that's what I would go for. As you say, I'm looking forward to this lottery win. I may send you a couple lottery tickets just so I can see this thing come to fruition. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Indeed. Well, Sean, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Um. So one of the things we, t we touched on earlier is, is something I've, I believe really wholeheartedly always be focused on the job that's in front of you and, and make sure you're dominating it. Cause if you do, people will come and find you. People will, will prioritize you and people will make you uh, into what you want to be. Uh, they'll, they'll take you on your career path. Um, be open. And that's just in a general sense, be open to criticism, be open to learnings, be open uh to sometimes being the person who steps in and, and helps somebody else grow. But if you're open, if you have openness that will really help you grow in your career and, and, and help you engage. Um, and then know you're never done growing. It's a little bit of the openness, but you're just never done growing. So um, there's always going to be a challenge that you can get better at There's a challenge that uh, you can prove that you're up to the task with at any time. And if you're always trying to engage in whatever that next challenge you're is, you're in, uh, you will find yourself continuing to grow your career and grow yourself as a professional. Couldn't agree anymore. You know, dominating your day, dominating your job, being a sponge in everything you're doing and continuing to be evolving and open to learning. You're going to be elite and you're going to be very successful in what you do. So Sean, thank you so much. It's certainly a pleasure talking to you. You've had a fun career, a great fun story, and it's been a pleasure. I, I really appreciate your time and expertise today. It was my pleasure, Travis. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for continuing to be the guy you are in the industry. I appreciate it. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, 
Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.